Willikins was sitting on the bench under the chestnut tree with his hands resting peacefully on his knees. He was good at it. He had a talent for resting that had escaped Vimes. It must be a servant thing, Vimes thought. If you don't have anything to do, don't do anything. And right now he could do with a rest. Maybe evidence was going downstream even as he stood there, but by the sound of it, at a speed that could almost be overtaken on foot. Regrettably, Sybil was right. At his age you had to be sensible. You sometimes had to catch your breath while you still had some. He sat down beside the man and said, "'An interesting day, Willikins.' "'Indeed, yes, Commander, and may I say that young Constable Upshot handled his responsibilities with great aplomb. You have a talent for inspiring people, sir, if I may say so.' There was silence for a while, and then Vimes said, "'Well, of course, we were helped by the fact that some bloody fool actually let an arrow go. You could see them thinking about what might happen if you're one of the gang that killed a dear old lady.' That's a kind of trouble you don't get out of easily. That opened them up. And it was obviously a real stroke of luck for us, Vimes added without turning his head. He let the silence continue as the storm raged in the distance, while nearby whatever it was that was chirping in the bushes carried on doing so in the warm, sultry afternoon. It puzzles me, though, he went on, as if a thought had only just crossed his mind. If it was someone in the front of the crowd who had loosed his crossbow, then surely I would have seen it. And if it was one towards the back, then he would have to have been clever and skilful enough to sight through maybe a very narrow space. That would be very clever shooting, Willikins. Willikins was still staring placidly ahead. Vimes's sideways glance spotted no hint of moisture on his brow. Then the gentleman's gentleman said, I expect these country lads excel at trick shooting, Commander. Vimes slapped him on the back and laughed. Well, that's the funny thing, don't you think? I mean, did you see their gear? It was low-grade stuff, in my opinion, not well-maintained, the kind of stuff that Grandad brought back from some war. Whereas that arrow, I recognised that evil little package as a custom-made bolt for the burly and strong-in-the-arm peacemaker Mark Nine. You remember? I'm afraid you will have to refresh my memory, Commander. Vimes was beginning to enjoy himself and said, Oh, you must! Only three of them were made, and two of them are still under wizard-assisted lock and key in the company vaults. And the other, surely you remember this, is locked safely in that little vault that we made in the cellar at Schoon Avenue last year. You and I poured concrete while Sybil and the lad were out, and rubbed dirt all over the floor so that you had to know it was there in order to find it. It's a hanging matter for anyone to be found with one of them, according to Veterinari. And the Assassin's Guild told the Times that hanging would be a picnic compared with what would happen to anyone they found in possession of one of those. I mean, think about it. Can't hardly tell it's a crossbow. Silent, folds up and fits in a pocket in an instant, easily concealed and deadly in the hands of a skilled man such as you or I. Vimes laughed again. Don't be surprised, Willikins. I recall your prowess with even a standard military bow during the war. Heavens know what someone like you could manage with the damn peacemaker. I just wonder how one turned up out here in the country— after all, Feeney confiscated all the weapons he found, but maybe one of the chaps had hidden it in his boot. What do you think? Willikins cleared his throat. Well, Commander, if I may speak freely, I might surmise that there are many workers at Burley and Strong in the arm, which is one factor, and, of course, the directors of the most famous weapons producer on the plains might also have decided to hide away a few souvenirs before the range was banned, and who knows where they might have got to. I can think of no other explanation. Well, of course you may be right, said Vimes. And while it's a terrifying thought that one of these things might be out on the streets somewhere, 
I must admit that the idiot who used it really helped us out of a difficult situation. He paused for a while, and then said, Have you had a pay rise lately, Willikins? I am entirely satisfied with my remuneration, Commander. It is entirely deserved, but to be on the safe side, I'd like you, as soon as we are back home, to check in the cellar just in case, will you? Because obviously, if there are more of those bloody things out there, I want to make certain that I've still got one too. And as Willikins turned away, Vimes continued, Oh, and Willikins, it's a damn good job for you that Feeney cannot put two and two together. Was that the faintest sigh of relief? Surely not. I will expedite that as soon as we enter the building, Commander, and I am certain that should you yourself want to go down there some time later to make a personal check, you will find it resting where it has always been. I am sure I shall, Willikins, but I wonder if you could solve a problem for me. I have to catch the wonderful Fanny, he added hurriedly, which is a boat, of course. Yes, sir, I am aware of the vessel in question. Remember that I had already been here for some time before you and her ladyship arrived and I happened to be near the river when she went upstream. I recall the people pointed her out to me. I was given to understand that she was going up to overhang to load up, probably with iron ore brought down from the dwarf mine, which rather surprised me, given that normally they smelt directly at their mines and export the bar stock, this being a more economical method, sir. Fascinating, said Vimes, but I think that however slow it goes, I ought to get after her. Feeney was just emerging from the cottage. "'I've uh, heard about the boat, lad. We should get going while it's still light.' Feeney actually saluted. "'Yes, I have that in hand, sir. But what about my prisoner? I mean, my old mum could give him his meals and empty his bucket for him. Won't be the first time she's had to do that sort of thing. But I don't like leaving her by herself, right now, if you get my thinking.' Vimes nodded. Back home he only had to snap his fingers for a watchman to become immediately available, but now, well, he had no choice. Willikins. Yes, Commander. Willikins, against my better judgment, and I dare say yours, I hereby appoint you to the rank of Special Constable, and I command you to take the prisoner back to the hall and keep him under lock and key there. Even a bloody army would be mad to attack the hall with Sybil in it. But just in case, Willikins, I can think of no man better suited to guard my family. Willikins beamed and saluted. Yes, sir. Orders received and understood, sir. You can depend on me, sir, only, um, well, when we get back to the city, could you uh, please not let anyone know that I was a copper for a while? I have friends, sir, dear friends, who have known me for a long time, and they would cut my ears off if they heard I was a copper. Well, far be it from me to whiten a man's name against his will, said Vimes. Do we have an understanding? I'd be grateful if you could refrain from too much adventurousness. Just guard the prisoner and ensure that no harm comes to him. If this means a little judicious harm has to come to someone else, I will regretfully accept the fact. Willikins looked solemn. Yes, sir. Fully understood, sir. My comb will not leave my pocket. Vimes sighed. You have a great many things in your pockets, Willikins. Ration their usage, man. And by the way, please tell Sibyl and young Sam that Daddy is chasing the bad men and will see them again soon. Feeney looked from Vimes to Willikins. "'Glad that's sorted out, gentlemen,' he said, and smiled nervously. "'Now, if you're ready, Commander, we'll just go along to the livery stable and pick up a couple of horses.' With that he began to walk smartly down to the village, leaving Sam Vimes no alternative but to follow. Vimes said, "'Horses?' "'Absolutely, Commander. From what I hear, we should catch up with the fanny in an hour. To tell you the truth, we could probably outrun it, but it's best be on the safe side, don't you think?'
Feeney looked sheepish for a moment, and then added, "'I don't usually ride much, sir, but I'll try not to disgrace myself in front of you.' Vimes opened his mouth. Then Vimes shut his mouth, trapping the words, "'Lad, I'd rather ride a pig than horse, if it's all the same to you. I mean, pigs just run along, but horses... Most of the time I've got nothing against horses. Then I come down very firmly against horses, and then I'm shot up in the air again, so that once more I have nothing against horses.' But I know that in half a second the whole damn thing starts again. And yes, before you come out with the whole business of it's all right if you rise up when they go down, let me say that has never, ever worked for me because then I'm either above and a little behind the horse or against the horse so firmly that I'm really glad that Sybil and I have decided to have only one child. Feeney was, however, in keen and chattering form. I expect there were a lot of horses at Coombe Valley, eh, sir? And Vimes was stuck. Actually, lad, the trolls have no use for them, and the dwarfs are said to eat them, on the quiet. Gosh, that must have been a blow to a fighting man like yourself, Commander. Fighting man? Maybe, Vimes thought, at least when no alternative presents itself. But how in the seven hells did you get the idea that I'm comfortable even looking at horses? And why are we still walking towards some barn that is going to be full of the wretched things, stamping and snorting and dribbling and rolling their eyes backward like they do? Well, I'll tell you why— it's because I'm too damn scared to tell Feeney that I'm too damn scared. Pah! The story of my life. Too much of a damn coward to be a coward. Now Feeney pushed aside a heavy wooden gate, which to Vimes's susceptible ear creaked like a fresh gallows, and he groaned as they stepped through. Yes, it was a livery stable, and it made Vimes liverish. And there they were, the inevitable hangers-on, bandy-legged, no more than one button on their coats, and a certain suggestion of rat about the nose and wishbone about the legs. You could have played crocket with them. Every one of them had a straw in his mouth, presumably because that's what they lived on. And, helplessly, Vimes was introduced to men who knew they had heard of him, very big policemen, certainly, while Feeney painted a picture of him as just the sort of man who would insist on riding the swiftest beast that they had installed in the stalls. Two evil-looking mounts were led out, and Feeney generously brought the larger over to Vimes. "'There you go, sir, back in the saddle again, eh?' he said, and handed him the reins. While Feeney was negotiating the hire, Vimes felt something tug at his leg, and he looked down into the grinning face of Special Constable Stinky, who hissed, "'Big trouble, fellow policeman, colleague! Big trouble for man scared of horses, damn right!' "'Hey, toss, can smell fear! You take me, policeman! I fix!' No worry. You need Stinky anyway, yes? You find frightened goblin. Panic, panic, panic. But Stinky say, shut gob goblins. This man, despite appearances, not too much of an arsehole, yes, indeed. The wretched little goblin lowered his cracked voice still further and added, so that Vimes could barely hear it, and Stinky never ever said anything about policeman's shirt-washing man and very cross bow, hey, Mr. Vimes? There is no race so wretched that there is not something out there that cares for them, Mr. Vimes. The words hit Vimes like a slap in the face. Had the little bugger said that? Had Vimes really heard it? The words had dropped into the conversation as if from somewhere else, somewhere very elsewhere. He stared at Stinky, who rattled his teeth at him cheerfully and swung himself dreadfully under the horse, just as, on the other side of the yard, the brain's trust of debating equestrian experts settled the negotiations with Feeney. The apparent boss spat on his hand, and Feeney, against all public safety procedures, spat on his hand, and then shook hands, and then money changed hands, and Vimes hoped it had washed its hands. Then, in front of Vimes, possibly to its own amazement, the horse knelt down. Vimes had only seen that in a circus, 
and everyone else acted as if they'd never seen it at all. Stinky had miraculously disappeared, but when incredulous eyes are watching, as the venerable philosopher Lightin Weedle says, you have to do something or be considered, in the great scheme of things, a tit. And so Vimes went bow-legged, and shuffled along the horse as nonchalantly as he could, and made the strange clicking noise that he'd heard ostlers use for every command, and the horse got to its hooves, raising Vimes as gently as a cradle, to the astonishment and subsequent wild applause of the bandy-legged throng, who clapped and said things like, "'Bless you, sir, you ought to get a job in the circus.' And at the same time Feeney was all admiration, unfortunately. The wind was blowing up, but there was still some daylight left, and Vimes let the constable lead the way at a gentle trot, which indeed turned out to be gentle. "'Looks like rain coming in, Commander, so I reckon we'll take it a little gently until we get down past Piper's Holding, and then round by the shallows at Johnson's Neck, where we can canter around the melon plantation, and by then we should be able to see the fanny. Is that right by you, sir?' Sam Vimes solemnly waited for a few seconds to give the impression that he had the faintest idea about the local landscape, and then said, "'Well, yes, I think that should be about right, Feeney.' Stinky dragged himself up the horse's mane, grinning again, and held up a large thumb— fortunately his own. Feeney gathered up the reins. Good, sir, then I think we'd better bustle. It took Vimes a little while to fully understand what was going on. There was Feeney on his horse, there was the statutory clicking noise, and then no Feeney, no horse, but quite a lot of dust in the distance, and the cracked voice of Stinky saying, Hold on tight, Mr. Policeman, and then the horizon jumped towards him. Galloping was somehow not as bad as trotting, and he managed to more or less lie on the horse and hope that somebody knew what was going on. Stinky appeared to be in charge. The track was quite wide, and they thundered along it, trailing white dust, and then suddenly they were heading downwards, while the land on Vimes's right was going up, and the river was appearing behind some trees. He knew already that it was a river that saw no point in hurrying. After all, it was made up of water, and it is generally agreed that water has memory. It knew the score. You evaporated, you floated around in a cloud until somebody organised everybody, and then you all fell down as rain. It happened all the time. There was no point in hurrying. After your first splash, you'd seen it all before. And so the river meandered. Even the ank was faster, and while the ank stank like a drain, it didn't wobble slowly backwards and forwards from one bank to the other, as old treachery did, as if uncertain about the whole water-cycle business. And as the river wiggled like a snake, so did the banks, which, in accordance with the general placid and unhurried landscape, were overgrown and thick with vegetation. Nevertheless, Feeney kept up the pace, and Vimes simply clung on, on the basis that horses probably didn't willfully try falling into water of their own accord. He remained lying flat because increasingly low branches and tangled foliage otherwise threatened to smite him off his mount like a fly. Ah, yes, the flies— the riverside bred them by the million. He could feel them crawling over his hair until some leaf or twig swatted them off. The likelihood of spotting the wonderful boat without having one's head smacked off seemed extremely little. And yet here, suddenly, was a respite for Vimes's aching backside, the sandbar with a few logs marooned on it, and Feeney just reining his horse to a stop. Vimes managed to get upright again, just in time. And both men slid to the ground. "'Very well done, Commander.' "'You were born in the saddle, obviously. Good news. Can you smell that?' Vimes sniffed, giving himself a noseful of flies and a very heavy stink of cattle dung. "'Hangs in the air, don't it?' said Feeney. "'That's the smell of a two-ox boat, right enough. They muck out as they go, you know.' Vimes looked at the turgid water. 
I'm not surprised. Perhaps, he thought, this might be the time to have a little discussion with the kid. He cleared his throat and looked blankly at the mud as he got his thoughts in order. A little trickle of water dribbled over the bar, and the horses shifted uneasily. Feeney, I don't know what we'll be getting into when we catch up with the boat, understand? I don't know if we can turn it round, or get the goblins out and then get them home over land, or if we'll even have to ride it down all the way to the coast, but I'm in charge, do you understand? I'm in charge because I'm very used to people not wanting to see me in front of them, or even alive. Yes, sir, Feeney began, but I think— Vimes ploughed on. I don't know what we're going to find, but I suspect— that people who try to take over boats, even a floating dung machine like the Fanny, probably get treated by the crew as pirates immediately. So I'm going to give the orders, and I want you to do exactly what I tell you, OK? For a while it looked as though Feeney was going to object, and then he simply nodded, patted his horse and waited, while another tiny wave splashed beside the horses. The sudden silence of someone normally so talkative disconcerted Vimes, and he said, "'Are you waiting for something, Feeney?' Feeney nodded and said, "'I didn't wish to interrupt you, Commander, and as you say, you are in charge, but I was waiting until you said something I wanted to hear.' "'Oh, yes, such as?' "'Well, sir, to begin with, I'd like to hear you say it's time to mount up and get out of here really fast, because the water is rising and soon the alligators will wake up.' Vimes looked around. One of the logs which he had so carelessly dismissed was extending legs. He landed on the back of his horse with the reins in his hand in little more than a second. "'I'll take that order as a given, then, shall I?' shouted Feeney as he sped after Vimes. Vimes did not attempt to slow down until he judged them high enough up the bank not to be of interest to anything that lived in the water, and then waited for Feeney to catch up. "'All right, Chief Constable Upshot. I'm still in charge, but I agree to respect your local knowledge. Will that satisfy you? Where is the water coming from?' It certainly was rising. When they had started out, you would have needed a ruler to be certain it was flowing at all, but now little waves were dancing after one another, and a light rain was starting to fall. "'It's that storm coming up behind us,' said Feeney. "'But don't worry, sir. All that means is that the fanny will tie up if it gets too strong. Then we can just climb on board.' The rain was falling faster now, and Vimes said, "'What happens if it decides to carry on? It's not too far off sundown, surely?' "'That won't be a problem, Commander, don't you worry,' shouted Feeney, with infuriating cheeriness. "'We'll stay on the trails. No water ever gets up that far. Besides, wherever she is, the Fanny will have running lights on, red ones, oil lamps, as a matter of fact. So don't worry,' Feeney finished. "'If she's still on the river, we'll find her, sir, one way or the other. And may I ask, sir, what your intentions are, then?' Vimes wasn't certain, but no officer ever likes to say that. So instead, he parried with the question himself. "'Mr. Feeney,' You make this river sound like a picnic. Look over there. He pointed across the river to a spot where the water spun and gurgled, and was almost visibly rising as they stared at it. Oh, said Feeney, you always get debris coming down old treachery. The only time to worry is if you get a damn slam. Technically, the violent surge of water on old treachery was written down in technical manuals as a dam slam, D-A-M, but anyone who has experienced one learns to swear, hence the subtle change of name. They only happen very rarely when circumstances are right, sir, and you can be sure the captain will have the fanny well out of any danger if one of those should happen. Besides, he can't possibly navigate the river in bad weather at night. Old treachery is full of stags and sandbars. It will be suicidal, even for a pilot as good as Mr. Silito. They rode on in silence, except for the terrible swirling and gurgling of dark waters down in the torrents below the bank. Only a little daylight remained now, and it was a dirty orange, helped out occasionally by flashes of lightning. "'followed by stone-cracking thunder. 
In the woods on either side of the river, trees lit and occasionally burned, which was, Vimes thought, at least a help to navigation. The rain was soaking his clothing now, and so he shouted, in a voice which betrayed his belief that he would not like the answer to what he was about to ask, "'Apropos of nothing, and just to pass the time, lad, would you tell me what exactly a damn slam is?' Feeney's voice was initially drowned by a thunder roll behind them, but on the next go he managed— "'It's an occasional phenomenon, caused by a storm getting stuck in the valley, "'and the debris of the storm getting piled up in a certain way, sir.' "'Stinky scrambled up from who would dare to speculate where, "'and up onto the horse's head. "'He glowed with a faint blue corpse light. "'Vimes reached out a finger to touch him, "'and a tiny blue flame danced across his hand. "'He knew it. "'Saint Ungulant's fire,' he said aloud, and wished that he was in a position to use it to light his last cigar, even if it was an exhalation of the corpses of the drowned. Sometimes you just needed a little tobacco. Feeney was staring at the blue lights with an expression of such horror that Vimes hardly dared to disturb him, but he said, "'Then what happens, lad?' Lightning, with a sense for the dramatic moment, illuminated Feeney's face as he turned. "'Well, Commander, the debris will build up and up and tangle until it's one mass, and the river is building up so much behind it that sooner or later it'll overcome the strength of the natural dam, which will plough down the river, mercilessly sweeping up or capsizing everything in its path, all the way to the sea, sir. That's why this river is called Old Treachery.' "'Well, of course,' said Vimes. "'I'm a simple man from the city who doesn't know much about these things, "'but I take it that a build-up of debris which ploughs its way down river, "'sweeping up or capsizing everything in its path all the way down to the sea, "'is generally considered to be a bad thing?' "'There was a long, drawn-out creak behind them as another tree was hit by a flash. "'Yes, sir. You left out the word mercilessly, sir,' said Feeney carefully. "'I think we really should try to catch up with the fanny as quickly as possible.' "'I think you're right, lad.' And right now I suggest, whatever it was that Stinky was doing, and whatever it was that Stinky actually was, the horses were already becoming skittish to the point of bolting. There was so much water in the air and so little light left that the difference between the river and the shore could only be judged by seeing which one you fell into. And there was solid rain now, rain that blew from every direction, including upwards, and the symphony of dark destruction was punctuated by the sound of banks slipping inexorably into the churning water. The horses were now frantic, and direction had no meaning, and nor did warmth, and the world was nothing but darkness, water, cold despair, and two red eyes. Feeney saw them first, and then Vimes picked up the smell. It was the rich, desperate smell of oxen getting really worried, and was thick enough to stink its way out of the turmoil. Amazingly, the boat was still churning the water, making progress of sorts despite the fact that its trailing flotilla of barges was jackknifing, tangling, and generally swishing across the river like the tail of an angry cat. "'Why didn't she tie up somewhere?' shouted Feeney to the storm. It sounded like despair, but Vimes dismounted, grabbed the sticky shape of Stinky, and slapped his horse on the rump. It certainly stood a better chance by itself now than it did with him, after all. And then, for a moment, his inner eyes looked at Coombe Valley. He had nearly died that day as water poured off the valley walls and thundered through the endless caves in the limestone, smacking him against the walls, banging him on the floors and ceilings, and finally dropping him on a tiny beach of sand in utter darkness. And the darkness had been his friend, and Vimes had floated on the face of the darkness, and there he had found enlightenment growing, and understood that fear and rage could be hammered into a sword, and the desire to once again read a book to a child could be forged into a shield and armour for a ragged, dying castaway, who thereafter shook hands with kings. After that, 
What could be frightening about rescuing goblins, and who knew how many other people from a floundering boat on a black and treacherous river in thundering, steaming darkness? He was running now along the squelching bank, water pouring down his neck. But running wasn't enough. You had to think. You thought that the pilot of the boat knew the river and knew the boat. He could have moored at any time, couldn't he? And he hadn't done so, but he clearly wasn't a fool, because even having known the river for only a few hours, Vimes could see that no fool would survive on it for more than a few journeys. It was built to be a trap for the stupid.'